Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and Bulldog fans everywhere. We are back on another episode here on the Maroon Mike. I'm your co-host, Colton Watson. And I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. And uh, lots of stuff to talk about today. We're just going to get right to it. All right, and so as promised, we are here to talk about the SEC West now. We did the SEC East last episode. Going to, this is not going to be in the predicted order of finish. So I did these notes. I just did it in alphabetical order uh, by most frequently used name. So Ole Miss is O, not Mississippi. Uh, although I like to call them Mississippi because it makes them mad. I think Ole Miss is actually historically a problematic term. That's neither here nor there. They don't care what I think. I wear maroon every day. They could care less, or so they claim. But that does mean that starting off first, we're going to be talking about Alabama. Uh, No surprise, uh, Alabama was picked to win the SEC this year. Shocker. Who would have thought? I think this year with Alabama, the big a big story is some of the non-storylines. You don't have the turnover at coordinator that you see so often with Alabama, and you haven't for a while. They've had Pete Golding since 2018, second year with Bill O'Brien, who, let's be honest, Bill O'Brien isn't the best offensive coordinator they've had in the past 10 years, but it's hard to be that bad. Pete Golding is not the best offensive coordinator that they've had in the past 10 years either. Neither one, but, but. It's, it's hard when you've got a Heisman finalist and a Heisman winner on you – know, on both sides of the ball to not be at least adequate. So there, there's that. And also, I, I think any defensive coordinator can look good when uh, Nick Saban is the, back there pulling the puppet strings. So you got all that. You got Bryce Young uh, returning, of course. Uh, not many – all these Alabama teams, they, they've won oh, – the tradition of Alabama, they've got now four Heismans, all of them in the past uh, 13 years. And I remember all of them. Mark Ingram, then Derrick Henry, then Devonta Smith, and now Bryce Young back-to-back, of course. This is the first time they've returned one of those players. Uh, you don't see – returning Heisman's, Heisman Trophy winners are a rarity. Uh, you saw it with Lamar Jackson. They returned Mark Ingram in 2010. Did Mark Ingram play in 2010? Yes. I'm shocked. You would know. He drafted by the Saints. I mean, you would know. Alabama was – like, Bama 20 – Bama 2010 is, like, not to get off track here, like, so, so weird. Because they were an Alabama team. Like, obviously, Alabama was, like, always preseason number one. Bama brought back a ton from a team that won the national championship. They, had, I mean, Julio Jones was back on that team. And then they went nine and three. So, Maybe yeah. foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. But maybe so. needless to say, returning Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, recently, you've got Johnny Menzel. You've got um, – Lamar Jackson, golly, brain fart there. Uh, Jameis Winston. A lot of these returning Heisman Trophy winners become Saints. It's weird. Uh, but all in all, usually if you win the Heisman Trophy, you're probably an older player. You're going to the NFL. I mean, that's just that's just more likely than not. So, again, quite odd uh, for Alabama. And then also I think just the biggest storyline with them is you had a top five finisher on the other side of the ball in Will Anderson. Will Anderson was a freak, destroyed Mississippi State almost by himself last year. Not the only team that he did that to. The, the, after, outside of the returning production, I think what you got what's funny for Alabama is they had to actually dip into the portal more than they'd like to. So, of course, last year they go get Henry Toa Toa, they get Jamison Love, and those are huge successes. You would think, though, with their recruiting acumen and with Nick Saban that they don't have to necessarily do that year in and year out to field a decent team. 
However, the cover was kind of bare at running back this year, oddly enough. So they did have to go and get Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech, who all indications uh, from fall uh, spring practice is that he's just a freak again. Uh, was wasting his career at Georgia Tech, and now he's, he's actually on a contending team. Uh, they, of course, we talked about Henry Toa Toa. They've had to go and get some uh, wide receiver transfers. Did I say Jamison Love? You did, and I changed it on the notes. Uh, did I ever type Jameson that? Williams. You typed – I typed Williams. Uh, so, we're looking at a Google Doc for the people listening at home. And last night as I was going in to do my SEC East notes, I was reading over, and I noticed Jamerson. I know that's The wrong. name was – our guy was Jamerson. This is Jamerson yeah. Williams. But you, you typed Jamerson Love, and I changed it to Williams for you. I knew I messed that up. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, speaking of – the transfer wide receivers, Jermaine Burden comes over from Georgia. We talked about him on the last episode as one of the guys who, uh, you know, so crazy leaving a starter from a national championship winning team, going to the team they beat. Uh, another kid out of Louisville, Ty- Tyrell Harrell, who's a big time speedster, is another big wide receiver for them to transfer. Um, they're loading up on the weapons. Uh, the tight end they have, uh, oh God, what is what is his name? Christian Latu was a good merge sort of down the stretch for them last year. A lot of new faces on this Alabama offense, but the weapons are still there. And when you got Bryce Young coming back, I mean, th- this could be one of the best Alabama offense. Well, I say that when 2020 Alabama's offense was ridiculous, but this could be a really, really good uh, offensive attack for Bama. Yeah, and and as far as you know, they're bring they're they're losing a lot on offense, but they're replacing them. Of course, I think the biggest replacement that they're going to have to overcome is, is uh, Evan Neal. It's going to be tough to get Evan Neal back uh, to replace his impact at offensive line, but Alabama recruits well every single year. Not a problem. Defensively, they bring back, I mean, come on, Jalen Battles, Dallas Turner, Henry Toa Toa, and Will Anderson. I think defensively this might be one of the more talented Alabama defenses in recent memory, uh, and that's why they're my pick to win the national championship. And that's really all the storylines I have out of there. If those, Unless those – Unless barring injuries, the only thing that I think would stop them is just transfers not meshing early on as well as you'd like them to. Other than that, they're poised to another for another run. They also added Eli Ricks at corner as a transfer from LSU. I'm I'm not high on Eli Ricks. I think it's more of a DBU carries more weight than uh than it should, and that he was just okay. But that's a more than competent player as out of the transfer portal for sure. I mean. We I'd have taken him. I'm not saying that he, I, I just don't think he's like first team all SEC caliber. Like some have said. Yeah. Bama having this experience coming back like they do. Typically, when you look at returning production numbers, Bama's one of the bottom teams in the country. And they still lost a lot. But the fact that and keep on, they lose all that every single year and then they're just as good. Bama is kind of middle of the pack nationwide in terms of returning production. That's scary. Yeah. That is, and, 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 again, the ones they bring back, though, are the stars. Other than Jamison Williams and Evan Neal, it's the stars that come back. I mean, last year Alabama was a little bit – had a good running back, but a little bit more running back by committee than mostly and throwing the ball a little bit more than, you know, the Alabama teams of three, four, five years ago. Of course, in the post-Tua era, uh, they've been throwing the ball a lot more, obviously. But there's no Najee Harris. There's no – you know, Derek Henry or Mark Ingram, obviously, on this on this team this year, and there wasn't really last year. So the guys that have moved on just don't have just happen to not be the stars, uh, especially on defense. Again, I, 
all these – these are there's multiple – there's four or five household names on defense on for Alabama. Usually their household names at the end of the season. This year their household names at the beginning of the season, and that's just what's scary. Uh, Arkansas, moving on. Uh, it's still, you know, Pittman, Browles, Odom, as far as I know, right? None of them have moved on yet. Yeah, he's been able to keep that staff together. Kendall Browles' name came up some for, like, the Texas Tech job, um, and he is someone who will be probably be a head coach candidate pretty soon. Odom might get in that conversation again. I mean, he had his brief little stint at Missouri that was okay, not great. He's sort of been more of a career D.C. guy, but uh, – Sam uh, Pittman, you know, we talked about him on the last episode a little bit while talking about, um, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, Beamer, Shane mm-hmm. Beamer in South Carolina, kind of the same approach. Get a guy in who's a good recruiter, uh, can motivate his players, get uh, you know, knows the program and loves the program and knows how to run a program and let his coordinators do their job, and that's what he's been doing. And it's worked out really well for Arkansas. Yeah, so Arkansas, as far as returning production goes, they're going to bring back KJ Jefferson, very, very Dak-like, uh, and I don't and I don't throw that term around. Just in terms of, of his body, his ability to throw the ball deep, uh, got the right stuff as quarterback. If Dan Mullen was still coaching here, no doubt I, in my mind, I think that he'd be a, a, a bulldog. And, that's, and I'm recycling a take there. I think everybody said that he just wasn't a Joe Moorhead recruit uh, out of Sardis, Mississippi. Should have been, just wasn't. Returning, they got two running backs coming back, Raheem Sanders and Dominique Johnson. Uh, those are two guys that had a lot of production running the ball last year. And, of course, Jefferson's a factor in the run game. Don't sleep on in the run game also Malik Hornsby. He's kind of their gadget quarterback. It's kind of their 2012 Dak Prescott maybe. Uh, mix in there to do a little wildcat, do some trick plays, Taysom Hill type stuff. Was a freshman last year. It was really good. Uh, defensively, Jalen Catalan is back. That's big. I think he was considering transferring. They got him back. Uh, he was injured for a lot of last year, especially uh, injured during our game. That's a safety that's uh, going to really command the back end. Is kind of the quarterback of the defense as a safety, alongside, of course, Bumper Pool, who's been there forever. Uh, not the most talented physically, but Bumper Pool's kind of like Errol Thompson. Um, is just a Football player, similar to Richie Brown, good instincts, knows where to be, um, makes plays, is always around the ball. So you got to watch account for those guys. I think for Arkansas, it's all just on the field as far as their storylines go. There's not, nothing off the field that's super interesting about them, uh, really. I think wide receiver-wise, they're a little bit lacking. They're bringing back Jadon. They're bringing in Jadon, Jadon, Jaden. I guess it's Jaden. Jaden. Jaden Hazelwood. Spelled weird. Spelled weird. But Jaden Hazelwood, uh, he was Oklahoma's leading receiver a year ago. But oddly enough, even in Lincoln Riley's last year, OU was a lot more of a rushing team last year, and their leading receiver didn't crack 400 yards. So uh, either that or, or they lied about this guy being the leading receiver on Arkansas's website. But I don't think so. Um, so it's not like uh, it's not like they've uh, got a bunch of weapons out there. Of course, they lose Traylon Burks. So if they can find some pass catchers, I think that's the biggest key for Alabama's uh, – for Alabama's success, or Arkansas' uh, success. I just said Alabama. So I can't talk today. little fact check here. Jaden Hazelwood was the leader in terms of receptions. Uh-huh. Uh, receptions and touchdowns, 39 catches, six touchdowns, 399 yards. Marvin Mims, though, had over 700 receiving yards for Oklahoma okay. last year. That, that makes more sense. So, basically, he's a possession receiver. Uh, find him in a critical spot, but he's not a game-breaking receiver. He's not a yards-after-catch guy. 
Yeah, receiver is sort of the big question mark on offense. I mean, Traylon Burks was such a massive part of that scheme last year, and, and the number two receiver is gone as well. Hazelwood is a big get there. Trey Knox is a decent player for them. Uh, offensive line is very experienced. They're going to be able to run the ball with the players they have back there and also with K.J. Jefferson. Um, they just – somebody's got to step up receiver. Uh, that, that's sort of the big thing there. I, this is that same offense that I was talking about with Tennessee earlier where uh, they're running that – you know, Kendall Bryles, literally because it was his dad's offense that was invented. It's that veer and shoot scheme designed to get guys wide open. But, I mean, there is a re- reliant on talent at wide receiver. You had it last year when you had – Traylon Burks, do you have it this year with a guy like Jaden Hazelwood? That's going to be sort of the big question for what this offense can be like. Uh, defensively, like the linebacker position does look good when you talk about uh, Bumper Pool. And then also Drew Sanders, transfer over from Alabama, former five-star recruit. Secondary looks very experienced. I think they're going to be good on the back half of their defense. It's going to be the biggest question is going to be up front where they – don't have yeah. much experience returning. So losing losing seven of ten of their leading tacklers. Of course, that's mostly going to come from linebackers, defensive ends, and the back end. Of course, they do bring back Jalen Catalan, despite missing some games, was in their top ten leading tacklers last year, which tells you how much how valuable he is. Um, and look, for, for what it's worth, I, I guess maybe I shouldn't minimize it a little bit, but because as for as important as defensive line is, Arkansas under Barry Odom, their base defense is rush three drop eight. Yeah, they like they don't just do that when they play Mississippi State. That's how they play pretty much everyone. So I guess if there was a side of the ball that you want them to be more experienced at, it would be with it the linebackers and the secondary um, to fit what they do schematically. They're very much bend, don't break, and they're not super aggressive. Um, it feels like the pieces are there for that. It's just you do want a few guys to be able to emerge as a pass rusher. So finding guys at pass rusher, finding guys at receiver, that's going to be the difference. If they can get guys to step up there, this. Arkansas' schedule is really tough. They got to go to BYU. They open up the season. I wanted to point that out. Some Pittman said, "Oh, third year in a row, the toughest schedule in the country." No, you don't play Georgia and Alabama. Stop. Stop. Yeah, that that is sort of like the like the difference there. I I don't know if like I don't know if I actually agree that we have the toughest schedule in the country. I would say we might we might be second, but we're not. But Auburn is probably tougher. Auburn has to go to Alabama and to Georgia, and they also host Penn State. Yeah, there's so we're, we're going to talk about Auburn in just a second. But Arkansas' schedule is still very, very difficult. I mean, again, opening up with Cincinnati, who they're getting that game at home. But, of course, and the Bearcats are a very different team. But that was a playoff team a year ago. Road trip to BYU after a very tough stretch of games where you've got Bama, Mississippi State, Texas A&M all mixed in there. Uh Get Ole Miss and LSU at home, so that's going to be big for them. Look, this can be a good Arkansas team. I don't know if the win total – like, them being like a 10-win team, I'm not there yet, which no. some people are, just because of what how difficult the schedule is. But uh, if they can get guys, again, front seven and then pass catcher, get guys, guys to emerge there, this could be a really strong team out of Fayetteville. Uh, and as mentioned, next is Auburn. Uh, Auburn, a guy uh, – or Coach Brian Horson, a guy that I don't think got a fair shake last year. They all wanted him out. I, I think that kind of stemmed from boosters – some of the bigger boosters didn't want him hired in the first place. Because last year, if you look, they were doing well, and then it all came crashing down uh, with an injury of Bo Nix and with some bad luck. They had Bama beat last year, Okay. You mentioned on last week's show they should have beaten South Carolina. 
You can argue that they should have beaten us. And and to be fair, in that game, they got out coached 100% against Mississippi State. Auburn got out coached. Going for the fake punt thing was stupid. Some of the other decisions in that game were stupid. And defensively, I mean, of course, that defensive coordinator is gone now, but uh, we made them look stu- look foolish. That being said, Auburn was a couple plays away from eight wins last year in what was supposed to be a rebuilding year anyway. Now they have less to work with the quarterback with Zach Calzada, transferred from Texas A&M, or TJ Finley, who transferred two years ago from uh, LSU. They do have a really, really good running backs in Tank Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. And, of course, uh, defensively, they still have Derek Hall somehow who out of Mississippi probably should have been a Bulldog, but has been a very solid player for them for years. From my hometown, Gulfport. Correct. I just think with Auburn, like we already mentioned, probably the toughest schedule in college football. Penn State at home, at Georgia, at Alabama, those are for sure losses. Talent-wise, they've got a lot of talent, but I don't think – I think Brian Horst has been set up to fail. The team and the fan base knows that there's no confidence in him and that he's probably a lame duck. That's not going to help on top of the fact that you're just not going to get – I mean, maybe if Calzada takes the job, he at least has some experience. Maybe he takes a step up. But he's going to have to improve to become a good passer. He's going to have to improve a lot to become a decent passer. Um, and I'm harder – maybe I'm being harder on him. I mean, he did beat Alabama last year. Give the guy some credit. But Calzada, awful against Ole Miss, not very good against us, uh, not very good against Arkansas last year at all. He's a guy that he's going to have to make some improvements for for Auburn to have a chance at a better than six win season. Yeah, um, and that's offensively, DJ Finley doesn't get the job. I I don't think he will. I think Calzada wins that job. I think Calzada I think has a higher ceiling overall. If we're throwing a wild card out there, I wouldn't be shocked if we see Robbie Robbie Ashford get some time out there. Uh, Ashford transfers in from Oregon. He's a young guy who's from the Hoover, Alabama area. Area. Oh, they switched quarterbacks. Yeah, so it's tough to see this offense being great. Um, Look, they're going to be able to run the ball with Hunter and Bigsby. The offensive line is very experienced, although they were not good in pass defense last or pass uh, blocking last season. But they, you know, the run game's there. It's just no one proven at quarterback that you really trust, and the receiving core is not good. Um, no, no receiver. Receiver is probably even a bigger question mark than quarterback. Cedric Jackson is okay. I'm Forty catches for five twenty-seven, but only one touchdown a year ago. Um, they're just not very proven at that position group. And look, frankly, what Harson does, Harson is kind of a he, his Boise State roots. They are very much a you know a run the ball type offense. You know that's sort of their first go to with it's They're doing it out of the spread, but they're not really going super fast they're not really doing anything super innovative it's kind of a kind of an old school style of attack just kind of lined up out of the shotgun that isn't really going to maximize the pieces that they have which I mean frankly for what Auburn does have that might be the best thing overall but you can make it easier to pass the football if you spread things out a little bit more and you are a little bit more modern with your with your passing game uh Auburn's defense should be pretty good we expect Auburn's defense to be good most seasons they you know, Derek having Derek Hall back is good. They've got you know, Colby Wooden is another starting uh, defensive lineman back for them. Got some starters back in the secondary. I don't know if Auburn's going to be incredible, but they that's, that's they field a good defense most every season. 
Carson, it, you're you're right. It's tough. I mean, they were very close from being a pretty good team last year, and it kind of just feels like everything's working against him. Where I mean, if what's crazy is like people are talking about eight and four won't be enough for him to keep his job. If he goes eight and four against this that's this schedule, thing. that's great. Now, but it's they do not get their fr- enough to keep his job. That's the thing. They they're they're unreasonable over there right now. They want something, to, and part of it's because they see long term that it's they don't think it's he's going to maximize what they want. But his approach for running a program is we kind of talked about this a bit when talking about Mullen at Florida, where what he likes to do and how he likes to build a program doesn't necessarily translate to the places that are trying to win national championships. Now Auburn's expectations are unrealistic, but it is a place that can win a national championship. So they're going to expect you to run a program more in that style and. Carson really isn't a guy. Their recruiting has been lackluster, which is another one of those big things that gets pointed to that um, they have zero confidence in Carson bringing in the type of talent that they need if they want to win at the highest level. Um, now, I don't think it's out of the question for Auburn to surprise a little bit this year, for what it's worth. As they do. They have, That's their thing. They have, they have eight home games, They're including five home games to start the season. And those five games to start the season, I don't know if it's out of the question that they could start five and because they open up with Mercer, then they get San Jose State. San Jose State, Penn State comes to town. That's that's a tough, tough game. But they went on the road into the whiteout last season, had the ball with a chance to like tie the game late against Penn State last year. Were very competitive in that game. Penn State, and that was a Penn State team that they finished seven and five was you know not impressive. They were better than their record indicated. They, Penn State had a lot of injuries and bad luck go against them over the back half of the year. That really be better this year too, though. What was that? I think Penn State will be better this year too. They might be. P- Penn State people are kind of a little bit iffy on right now. Mm-hmm. And like Jordan Harris, we know it is one of the toughest places to play in the country. It might be the sneaky best home field advantage that's out there. So getting them to come down to the plains—that's a two thirty CBS kickoff playing in the in the heat. I don't think Auburn could win that game. And after Penn State, they get Missouri, who we are not high on, and then they host LSU. Auburn at home against LSU has had a lot of success for a long time. I, LSU won there in, I think, 2018. That's like their only win uh, at Auburn since, I think, 2010 or 20. It would be 2012, 2012. So since 2012, LSU has won on the Plains once. And this is an LSU team that we're going to talk about, you know, just in a second. Big time changes for them, new look team. If Auburn get off to a fast start, they're going to open up the opportunities to, you know, improve themselves along the way. But I don't know. It's going to be tough. I think they can get to a bowl game. I don't know about if they can actually maximize. It's going to really come down to quarterback play and receivers uh, emerging. And I think it's kind of inevitable that Brian Harson's looking for a new job next year. Yeah, and again, to me, biggest thing is just how is that team going to play for him, knowing that that no, there's no confidence behind it. This little bit of a case study. Uh, people complain about John Cohen. People complain about leadership at Mississippi State that don't know what they're talking about. And and does that? And am I saying trust the coaches, trust the leadership blindly? They're always 100% right. No, that's not what I'm saying. You had a guy in Gus Malzahn who could do it. He proved he could beat Alabama. He proved he could win the SEC West. He had some up and down years. He was kind of schizophrenic in that way and that he'd go seven and five and then 10 and two. It was weird. And they got tired of it. 
but he wasn't going anywhere because the only other team that could have hired him was Arkansas and Arkansas found their guy in Pittman. So he was, he was staying put in 2020 and then you fire him without a 100% sure plan in place to get the guy that you know is going to be successful. That's one of those, if you're going to fire him, you have to fire him knowing who you're going to hire, having it already in verbal, verbal commitment from a guy. And then they go and stage a coup, these boosters, unsuccessfully. What type of look is that? That's another thing. If you're going to try to oust a coach for no reason with a hostile takeover, you better be dang confident that you're going to do it. Because that, that is an awful look to do that and fail. It's an awful look to do it and succeed. But to do it and fail is, is, is that much worse. So I'm very – just be count your blessings as a Mississippi State fan, as really a fan of anybody not named Auburn right now with those types of decisions that they're making for an athletic department that's usually qu- quite good and robust in all sports. Very odd. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, their boosters wanted Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator from the time. Uh, and there's some word that Kevin Steele was trying to get Malzahn forced out so he could take over, and it didn't work out. They tried to get Mario Cristobal. He was not interested in walking into that situation. I don't know how serious they were about flirting with Lane. Maybe they'll be more serious the next time around, but which I, I don't know if Lane would walk into that situation. Ole Miss and, is benefiting so. right now from the fact that a lot of the teams that are looking for coaches are dumpster fires hit below with the level they normally are. Florida State, uh, Miami last year, although they had to get a home. You would have taken that job. We're going to talk oh. more about that in a sec. You think you would have taken Kiffin the Miami job? He would have taken the Miami job. I think there, so. that's. But, I mean, Auburn and Florida State, two jobs that could be up for grabs this year. Nobody wants to walk into that right now. So. Yeah, no. Texas Texas might fire Sark this year. I doubt it, but they could. No, he's got Arch Manning protection. And Texas is actually probably going to be okay. Five and seven last year? They go five and seven. I don't think they're going to go five and seven again. But. They go five and seven again, he's fine. Really? It would have to be bottom out. It would have to uh-huh. be like their – Historically bad. You would think that that's the place where the boosters could could have some cachet, but they've got a, a good control over their program there. No, they don't. We're getting off topic here. Texas booster culture is like Auburn. The difference, though, that's the only thought, thing that it's would say. It's bad. bad. Texas booster culture would want to fire Sark after two, five, and seven seasons, wouldn't they? The way they're recruiting, though, with Arch Manning, they're going to hold on to that. That is the one thing that would save him is, like, having Arch – and the player – like, Texas is on path to maybe sign the number one class in the country. So what We're getting well off topic that, here. But what you're telling me is that they're, they're too stupid to see that Arch is overrated. The Perhaps. Perhaps. No offense. I think Arch is really good, but he's not a 1,000 recruit. He's not a 100 or whatever the perfect is. All right. We're going to talk about LSU now. LSU, just like Florida, completely clean house. New defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, and, of course, they bring in Brian Kelly. Uh, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, LSU, and all sports recently have shown that they can swing for the fences and hit home runs when it comes to these hires. They've done it in baseball, women's basketball, debatably in bas- in men's basketball, considering the fact probably definitely a home run, considering the fact that the, the sanctions they're looking at in basketball to go get McMahon from Murray State. And now they've hired away a sitting head coach of the biggest brand in football. Like it or not, I hate to admit it, unfortunately, Notre Dame is the biggest name in college football, and they have been for years. Does that mean they're the best team? No, that's not what I'm saying. But this is a team that's very interesting. You've got three guys who realistically could 
uh, take Q, uh, QB one snaps this year and Miles Brennan, Garrett Nussmeyer, and Jaden Daniels. I think they tried to run Nussmeyer off and he just said no. Uh, but he's competing. And then, but then they've got, of course, a true dynamite weapon, one of the best receivers in the league, in Kayshawn Butte. Uh, do not understand how they continue to get these types of receivers out of out there. You got Odell Beckham. I mean, I understand how, but it's a lot of money. But you got Odell Beckham. You've got uh, Jamar Chase. My gosh, uh, even even Justin Jefferson. I mean, Justin Jefferson, fantastic. And they've even got some guys that uh, under the radar who are a lot better uh, on paper, or excuse me, a lot better than they appear. They just get overshadowed by some of these other uh, receivers. So. Lots of uh, talent over there. Defensively, they still have B.J. Ojolari, who I feel like has been there forever. I feel like he was there when, when we beat him in 2017. Of course he wasn't. Micah Baskerville is a guy they expect big things out of on defense. Noah Kane, a transfer running back. He's new. Um, Where did he come from? Do you have the Athlon list right there? Noah Kane's from Penn State. Penn State. Running back was a position last year where they really struggled. Not what you're used to with, with LSU. LSU – Historically, you struggle with quarterback, and you 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 build a team around a, a a competent, if that, quarterback, and a big running back is a part of the deal. Last year, they really couldn't run the ball effectively. They had to throw the ball all over all over the yard, and that's part of the reason why they struggled. Still managed to beat us somehow, but they weren't the LSU team that they're used to, and that's part of the reason why Coach O got fired. Uh, they needed more than just a a rah rah guy, CEO type coach. Uh, they need a guy that can do some X's and O's that could run a program. And here's the difference, you know, between Coach O and Sam Pittman, Coach O and Shane Beamer. Coach O was at first surrounded by really talented coaches to help prop him up. When it came time for him to make those hires, he, he whiffed on those. I wouldn't say whiff is maybe a strong word, but he, didn't, he wasn't able to find those guys that were capable of propping up his uh, ineffectiveness. Now they've uh, they've went out and hired a true program coach who knows the game inside and out, and they should look to improve at least the next couple of years. Don't know about this year, but we'll see. Can they be you know have like an Arkansas year and come back really strong in the first year? We don't know. They got to replace Max Johnson, who I think they would have liked to hold on to. Do, do you? I know he went to Texas A&M. I, I I know they were recruiting his brother, and his brother flipped uh, to Texas A&M. They would have. They didn't. That wasn't like a force out like Calzada. They wanted to hold on to Max Johnson, right? Yeah, Max Johnson was a solid player for them a year ago. Um, Nussmeyer. I mean, it, it's a weird situation for them at quarterback. Like Nussmeyer has a lot of potential. I mean, comes from NFL pedigree. Miles Brennan. I mean, he's the good. dude has just had Fragile. the worst luck. When he's played, he's looked okay. He's looked or even legitimately good. He just cannot stay healthy. Jaden Daniels, he was really impressive as a freshman at Arizona State, but since that point has not lived up to that hype. And there's some talk about – remember I talked about with Spencer Rattler, kind of some of the attitude stuff. Mm -hmm. There's kind of some – that with Jaden Daniels. That's rumors, but apparently there was some expectations of preferential treatment during his time at ASU that just didn't flow with the locker room, which is part of why he's gone. And, in fact, some of his – former teammates were kind of celebrating the fact that he was gone on social media. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, a, it, it's an interesting dynamic with him joining this locker room. Obviously, if you go with him, you're adding a rushing threat. It, I guess it's not completely out of the question. True freshman five-star Walker Howard, who was kind of the big get right. for Brian Kelly. He got, he would have a chance there as well. It's a wide open quarterback battle. 
And if you look at Brian Kelly's history, I think the expectation is LSU is going to play multiple quarterbacks. Kelly has never been uh, shy uh, back in time at Notre Dame about playing multiple guys. When was the last um, time they had like a, a, a dual threat for real? Uh, Kaiser? Who was like, there's a guy after Deshaun Kaiser. Ian Book was a pretty – Ian Book ran pretty well. I, I wouldn't call Ian um, Book dual threat. Deshaun Kaiser really wasn't much of a dual threat. Malik Zaire was the guy That's before Kaiser. He was a runner. Um, but he lost the job to Kaiser because Kaiser was just a much, much better passer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, that that's one of those things where at Notre Dame, it was a lot of – there was also back before Zaire Everett Golson, if you remember him. Mm-hmm. Um, they, he's had some dual-threat quarterbacks. They've been, been – made use of him for the big thing is I think you would expect multiple quarterbacks to play for LSU uh at running back that John Emery comes back after being ruled academically ineligible last season um so him and Noah Kane will probably be leading that rushing attack hasn't lived up to expectations either though he is not if you remember Mississippi State was high on him during Joe Moorhead's tenure he was kind of the top targeted running back ultimately chooses to go to LSU hasn't lived up to his expectations yet but that's what they want to see out of him I mean some of that goes back to the offensive line. They've got some players back there, but they haven't been great. Now, the receiving oh, core is a better offensive lineman than Cole Smith a couple years ago. Yeah. I bet they'd like The receiving that. core is really good. Kayshawn Butte, obviously, he's fantastic. But beyond him, most of their top receivers are back. He's one of the more talented groups in the country. Uh, Jack Beck, J. Ray Jenkins, and then a guy Mississippi State fans will know, Malik Neighbors. Uh, they've got some really productive receivers in that group. Maybe the most talented receiving group in the SEC, arguably. If the O-line can hold up, I mean, somebody can emerge a quarterback, they're going to be able to throw the football. Um, obviously, they, you want to see them be able to develop more of the running game. And, you know, look, Brian Kelly, uh, you know, Mike Denbrock coming over to OC, like they, he's fielded a productive offense throughout his career. It's just big questions at quarterback, big questions about their ability to run the football. But if they can find somebody at quarterback, the passing game should be good for this team. Yeah, this is kind of similar to Ole Miss in this way. Uh, this is the other big transfer portal team. They've got to replace Max Johnson, Damone Clark, who was a great linebacker for them, Derek Stingley, Cordell Flott, Eli Ricks, all those guys on the back end. It's going to be very difficult, and that's not all that they're missing. That's just a sample. But they're adding – they got multiple defensive backs that they pretty much stole from Arkansas. Of course, we talked about J- uh, Jaden Daniels. Uh, Makai Wingo is a linebacker from the zoo that was very productive. Seven Banks is a cornerback from Ohio State. Kyron Lacey uh, from ULL, they're one of their best players. They got multiple really good players from ULL. Jarek Bernard Converse from Oklahoma State is a, another wide receiver. Oddly enough, I noticed there's only four safeties on the roster for, for, for LSU. I don't know what they're going to do at safety. Uh, maybe that's an exploitation for them. I know at cornerback they, they stole some uh, – this is according to LSU's website. So maybe they're just listing some safeties as cornerbacks for some reason. But uh, potentially, huh? Potentially. What does it say on, does it say on Athlon? Uh, I mean, I, they've got some guys listed. I mean, I, oh, wait, they have a roster. But keep in mind, these rosters have not been fully updated. Uh, they actually don't specify on defensive backs. Yeah, like they show starting lineups, they have safeties listening, but like this, this athlon also has like full depth chart, like not depth chart, full rosters for each team. Again, not fully updated with transfers. Uh, they they just specify defensive back. Gotcha. So you could see that that type of uh, they have a little bit of a hole there at at safety. Of course, maybe those four are all are all SEC. I didn't recognize the names. 
all in all told 27 players who started their careers at other four-year schools. Okay. Thing for LSU is they got a, a quote unquote neutral site game with Florida State. That's in the Superdome. We talked about that last week with Georgia. Exact same thing. I don't like it. If you're gonna play a neutral site, go play a neutral site, but that's not a neutral site. Um, they also get swing games, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Tennessee at home. Those are teams capable of beating LSU. Uh, that they're going to have a little bit of an advantage in the Death Valley uh, type of situation. They still have to go to A&M. They have to go to Florida, but I think Florida is vulnerable this year. They have to go to Auburn, and we talked about how Auburn might could win that one, but I think Auburn's obviously very vulnerable this year. So it's a bit of a favorable schedule uh, for LSU in year one of Brian Kelly. I think this is a team that could be – I would not be surprised if they won nine or ten games, but if they finished seven and five or even six and six, that wouldn't shock me either. Yeah, definitely a wide range of outcomes. I mean, that's going to be kind of the theme when we'll talk about it with Ole Miss. When you're relying so many so much on transfers, um, it really it can impact the way your thing goes. One thing we didn't hit on this that I, I we would have been remiss to defensively, even though it's not necessarily kind of experience. The expectation is that their defensive line is going to be nasty. Yeah, like well, yeah, yeah, LSU really defensive line. LSU like a classic defensive line, which I will say scares me a little bit. State going on the road with two new tackles. Week three, uh, knowing how that how how much that can impact this offense that that worries me a bit. It's um, one of those years where, other than that, you're glad to get LSU early. New coach, new scheme on the, on both sides of the ball. Uh, a lot of transfers early would be an advantage, except for the fact that we have to, we're breaking into new tackles, and they're going to have a good defensive line. And I would still think if that game is at Starkville, I would feel very confident taking Mississippi State to win it, even with that it may be advantage for LSU, but. So that, that's that is going to be tough for state, which means LSU. I mean, they can get off to a good start. The Florida State game, you feel like they can have an edge there. Southern hosting Mississippi State, hosting New Mexico, they could get off to. I mean, they could be four and zero going to that game in Auburn, and I think they would be favored. Even though we talked about Auburn winning that game, I think they'd be favored there. They might be a slight favorite at home against Tennessee. They might be favored going on the road to Florida. Like, there's a chance for Ole Miss, like not Ole Miss, LSU to be favored in every game leading up to the Alabama game. I don't think they're going to win all of those, but LSU could really surprise. But I feel like it's probably more in line with like an eight-win type team when it's all said and done. Agreed. Uh, next, is, you know, you could laugh and say it's your second favorite team to talk about or whatever. We're skipping Mississippi State. We're going to have plenty uh, time to talk about Mississippi State in weeks to come. Uh, we're going to move on to the Ole Miss Rebels. Replacing a lot is Ole Miss, both at the coaching positions, uh, new offensive coordinator, going to be split between Charlie Wise Jr. and John David Baker. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think Wise is the guy that's supposed to be like the main offensive coordinator other than Lane Kiffin. Uh, I didn't even know about Baker, so yes, that was my understanding. And then Chris Partridge and Maurice Crum are both co-defensive coordinator, but it's a Chris Partridge defense is what I've been told. I think that's a promotion from within. But they lost D.J. Durkin. We'll actually talk about him later. And they lost, uh, of course, Jeff Levy, who many build as the architect. Not that Lane Kiffin isn't an offensive coach, but many had Jeff Levy more as the mastermind behind the offense that they had a year ago. Whether or not that's true remains to be seen. Um, Andrewson here nodding yes. It's saying it's true. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, watch Oklahoma. Watch Ole Miss this year. 
Quarterback is very interesting. They bring in Jackson Dart, really, really talented at a high school, goes to USC, and was a true freshman, but was not – I mean, this is what I don't get. They, they, they build him up as a four-star at a high school. He goes to USC, has a very pedestrian year, 62% completion percentage, nine interceptions to 13 touchdowns, not, a, not just a ton of yards, and suddenly he's a five-star transfer. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I don't necessarily get that. He had a big game against Washington State. That was like his first big start. Then they kind of lit up the uh, the Cougs. But he – I don't know. I, I don't understand why you would say – why you would raise the profile after one year. Maybe you're saying that with the talent he has and what he's flashed that it's a, it's a five-star ceiling. Maybe that's what they're going for. But, I mean – the, the fact that he is – look, no offense to Luke Altmaier, but the fact that he has not come in and just beat out Luke Altmaier yeah. right away in the spring says a lot. And Altmaier's a decent player. Story for Ole Miss is that if, 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 it, if it's not Jackson Dart's job to lose, then that's of concern. Yeah, look, and again, Altmaier, he, he was a talented player out of high school, obviously, you know, Starkville kid. Um, he saw action in the bowl game last year in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor. Didn't go well for him, but frankly, that Baylor defense was really, really good. So and he got thrown into a top spot. You can't judge much off of it. Right now, I mean, all indications are he's been the more consistent guy. Jackson Dart has been, you know, a bit more up and down where he'll flash that talent that he has, but often finds himself trying to do too much and will make mistakes. Didn't have a good spring game. Um, I tend to think Dart will end up winning the job. But Altmaier's going to push him. And, I mean, I, I, it's not out of the question that Altmaier could play a major role in this team as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're losing Matt Corral, who Ole Miss fans themselves declared as their greatest quarterback in team history. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand he, he's incredibly talented. Not he, even he, – not even who doesn't even – who wishes he didn't even go there. Oh, yeah. Like, that's that's something we, we didn't get to touch on after that happened last week. The, the spin zones from Ole Miss fans about, well, that's not what he meant, and this is the fake news media with a misleading headline. He literally said he would have gone somewhere else if he could have done it over. So, um, that's and the that's, reason is because he's got a system offense where it's like the ABCs compared to calculus versus uh, when it compared to the simplicity of that offense to complexity of an NFL offense, and he's having to spend eight hours a day studying the playbook. And he yeah, we're going to talk about their offense. We're going to talk about their offense in a sec when it comes to like Jeff Levy. Uh, they are again one of those veer and shoot teams, and it's an incredibly effective offense for a college offense. It like if you're running it, you're probably going to put up big numbers, big like points. But it is so simple. Like the track record of quarterbacks coming out of that offense into the NFL is not good. That's part of why Matt Corral fell in the draft. Now, he's incredibly talented. If he can put it all together, he could maybe be something. But it's going to take him some time. Nonetheless, that's a massive loss for Ole Miss. Matt Corral carried them last year. Like, yeah, they won two or three. Ole Miss offensively, outside of Corral, was not great a year ago. Their offensive line was pretty good. But the, the receivers did not perform the way I think people thought they would. The running back group was, talent, was good, but not, like, otherworldly. They needed Corral. Like, he is the reason they beat Tennessee. He's a big reason they won the Egg Bowl. He's a big reason they beat Texas A&M. He's a big reason they beat Vanderbilt. I don't think people remember that they were struggling with Vanderbilt last year and then before Corral sort of carried them. Like, Ole Miss was much more like an 8-4 quality team a year ago. 
like if they don't have Corral, like they're they would have been just a, a decent team. Now, obviously, like I'm not that's not me trying to take away from the fact that they won 10 games. It was a great season for the Rebels, and like Corral is obviously a part of that. But it factors in when you talk about what they're going to be this year. I don't see how you cannot expect there to be a regression at the quarterback position. And the thing is, as I look on offense, the running back room looks great, but I don't really trust their receivers either. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, I don't know if this Ole Miss offense, offense is just going to be able good. to. Uh, they brought in Mason Brooks from Western Kentucky, an air raid offensive lineman. We wanted him. Uh, it sucks. Uh, Jeremy James is a good offensive lineman that's returning. And like you said, Ulysses Bentley the four. Where did he come from? SMU. Ulysses Bentley the four. Great name. Uh, Zach Evans, who both from the same, you know, you got one from Houston, one from Dallas. Uh, uh, no, they're both from Dallas. TCU's in Fort Dallas, Fort Worth. That's a rivalry. TCU, SMU, <laughs> battle for the iron skillet. Yeah, TCU's in Fort Worth. I was trying to remember if TCU's in Fort Worth or in Houston, or, or if Fort Worth is close to Houston or Fort Worth close to Dallas. Fort Worth is close to Dallas. Anyway, yeah. um, but those are uh, two guys who are supposed to be really good. I don't know. How do I put this without sounding like it's just a homer take? I don't think it's a done deal 100% that Zach Evans is God's gift to football this year, necessarily. He's very talented coming out of high school, very, very good for TCU, but it's kind of – you had this debate with Jerry on Ely. Is he a five-star in that he didn't get drafted? Even though he had a productive college career, does that mean he deserved to be a five-star coming out of high school? You have this kind of the same debate with Zach Evans. Uh, is he a – five-star running back in that he should be the focus of every offense that he plays on. He should, unless you've got Heisman contenders at quarterback, he should be the absolute workhorse and everything. Or is he just a nice piece on a decent offense? We'll have to see, you know? Well, okay. I can speak on that a little bit. The talent is five-star talent. He was a, one of the biggest signees that TCU had ever had five-star running back. The issue for him is not on field. It's off field. There are concerns about his, like, I, I think, you know, motivation for football, maybe some behavioral stuff that has caused him to miss a lot of time throughout his career. When he has played, he has been the best player on the field, not a question. But it's about him being on the field. So there are questions like, is going to Ole Miss, is that suddenly going to change? I don't know. If he plays, like, he will be a big, like, like, uh, is it easier or harder to stay out of trouble at a renowned party school than at a Christian school? Hmm. Well, TCU stretches the limits of being a Christian school, but I get your point. Um, look, he's a really good player. I, I think this combination, like uh, Stoop Connor and Jerry O'Neill, with a really good running back duo. Bentley and Evans is an improvement upon that. Like they're going to be able to run the football with those two in the offensive line that they have. It's going to come down to their passing attack, which is I do have a lot of questions with. Um, yeah, and I, I just want to put on record, Jonathan Mingo getting all SEC nods is ridiculous. Very that, stupid. That is, people in the media still think Phil Longo is the quarter is the coordinator there, and that they're just going to have receivers going crazy, stupid, like they did in 2015 and, and before. We're five years removed from that, guys. AJ Brown and DK Metcalf haven't played on there in three seasons. I mean that that that's gone. I know they had the whole Elijah Moore thing, and I guess I shouldn't say much, but that was kind of a different situation when you had one guy just dominating versus you got a talented receiver room. This is kind of like the Alabama running back thing. You just uh, – who's who's first-team running back for Alabama? They should make the list somewhere. 
used to do that with Ole Miss receivers. They're not at that point anymore. Mingo was a, was their fourth best pass catcher last year, and the best pass catcher they have returning. To be fair, but well, he was their fifth best pass back. catcher. If you're counting Jerry and Ely to the stats, he was their number okay. five receiver. Yeah, let's count. Let's count Jerry and Ely for sure. I didn't even count Jerry and Ely. Yeah, twenty-two catches, three hundred forty-six yards, three touchdowns. He was an okay piece. Now, I, I will probably a little bit unfair. Ontario Drummond did have a really good year for Ole Miss. 76 receptions for over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. Yeah, I, 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 undersold, I undersold him a bit. Right, he's gone. Um, and, like, Mingo being the top returning receiver, like, I, how much are you getting out of him? Uh, Dennis Jackson is still there, who is a guy that is, that is a highly rated recruit. Obviously, we all know Malik Heath transfers to Ole Miss, and people will tell you, people who actually know what they're talking about, Malik Heath did not have a spot back at Mississippi State. This wasn't a case of Ole Miss going and stealing a guy from us. He was not able to return here. Now, I think they had another kid transfer as well, the, the kid out of Harrison Central uh, from Gulfport, Jacoby Moore. I believe he Jacoby went to Moore, Ole Miss who got as well. here in August when, every, when all his classmates got here in June. Not yeah, to talk so, about him. I don't know what happened with that, but that was that's, that's the first sign. Right. I mean, it – How's it play the, the – they, uh, by the way, the, Malik Heath is a look decent player. When he was when he was on the field for Mississippi State, he was pretty good. But the consistency is not there. And is he suddenly going to walk into Ole Miss and be one of their best receivers? I don't know about that. Jordan uh, Watkins. I'll, I'll put it this way: If he's your top a top three receiver, that's not a good thing. Yeah, um, Jordan Watkins was a transfer over from Louisville, who was a solid player for them. They also got a transfer out of UCF. Uh, at wide receiver who it, it's kind of a mixed bag of players who have all kind of shown some flashes and talent, but none of them have shown to be the guy. Now the big fish they got as a receiving threat in the transfer portal was Michael Trigg, who's a tight end from USC. I mean, that, that could be, maybe he's the go-to piece for them on this offense. And look, Kiffin has used the tight end before when they had Kenny Yaboa, um alongside Elijah Mork, uh, Yaboa at tight end was Niaboa at tight end was like a, a good player for them. Um, but like I do have like questions at quarterback, questions in the receiving core as a whole. Like I feel like this offense takes a step back. And the other thing here, we were talking, we said we were going to talk about Jeff Levy. Lane Kiffin is obviously a fantastic offensive mind, and Lane started to implement some of this stuff that they're doing now, like to his own playbook when he was back at Alabama. It's not like he just totally learned, like he didn't know, had no any of the stuff beforehand. And he brought in Jeff Levy because he wanted to. Uh, run that system, that Art Bryles, veer and shoot offense that we keep talking about. It's taking over the SEC, apparently. Um, it's, you know, at three different schools now. They've all had success running it. But there's there are people who will tell you that Levy has a bigger role in that offense than maybe got let on. And that a lot of the actual, like the offense being as good as it is, like a lot of that is Levy. And that lane, like lane is good. Look, I, I think all of a suddenly not going to be running these plays. Like, no, they're going to keep the same offense. But I, I don't know if it's just going to be like the perfectly smooth transition offensively that a lot of Ole Miss fans are assuming it is. They're still going to score points. They're still going to be an effective offense. I'm not saying they're going to go out and suck, but I don't know if you can you can count on the offense the way that maybe they have in the past. And if you're going to look over on the defensive side of the ball, I. Uh, oh God! What's his name? The defensive coordinator who who, who Durkin, left? Who's a criminal? Durkin was who is a criminal, but he did really really good for Ole Miss last year. He like, was, he's a good like, defensive coach. DJ Durkin calls someone to die in college football program, which is ridiculous in Maryland. 
and no one cared that Ole Miss hired. Meanwhile, Mississippi State, because we hired uh, the old Southern Miss coach, um, Jay Hobson. What, what's his name? Hobson. Yeah, there were people criticizing Mississippi State for hiring Hobson because Hobson was considering hiring our Riles. Because we hired a guy who considered hiring a bad person, we got crap, but old, no one cared that DJ Durkin went to Ole Miss. That's just – I love how people in college football media like to operate. Um, but Durkin's a massive loss. Like, that was their first good defense in since 2015. Like, 2015, Ole Miss was solid defensively. The first time in, like, six years that Ole Miss has fielded a pretty good defense. And now he's gone. They lose Sam Williams, who was the big key part of that defense. Now, they brought in some transfer. They do still have Otis Reese there. I don't think Ole Miss is ever going to go back to sucking on defense, but I don't know if they're going to be any better than they were a year ago. I feel like Ole Miss staying solid on defense is, like, as good as you can ask for. Yeah. Well, I think the offense gonna be, is going to take a step be back. They're on the back end than the front end. The secondary should be pretty good for Ole Miss with some of the pieces they have there, the transfers that they brought in, some of the guys they have returning. But – I feel like like a lot of people are just penciling in Ole Miss. Like, oh, yeah, they can bounce right back. Like, they can be a 10-win team again. I feel like everything has to go right for that. Now, the schedule is incredibly favorable. Mm-hmm. But they're going to take a step back. And they're probably going to lose a couple games that Ole Miss fans are – like, games that Ole Miss fans are just assuming, oh, yeah, we're winning that because we're better now. I think they're going to take a couple L's. They're, they're – not only is the schedule favorable, but it builds – they don't, they don't get their first test until Kentucky, and that's five games in the schedule, and it's at home. Then they start to sack some road games, sack some games, but by then maybe they've meshed enough to, to overcome some of those things and actually have a decent season of, seven, of more than seven wins. Um, they bring in, you know, on, on, we talked about how the defensive front, it might be a little suspect. They do bring in a guy named J.J. Pegues from Auburn. Very, very, really don't get that rating either. Another guy that was rated super highly out of the portal was rated highly going into Auburn and played at Auburn for several years and hasn't done anything. Uh, was was buried on the depth chart at Auburn. That's why he's at Ole Miss right now. Uh, but then again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Ole Miss is a hype train every single year, although they are. I'm not trying to say that you should never trust anything that Ole Miss fans say about the talent of their incoming players, even though we've, they've decided that They've de- demonstrated that it's not uh, to be trusted when they have that information. But it is odd how I think Jared Ivey might have been a little overblown. I don't know. But Jackson Dart and J.J. Piggies both really highly rated transfers that don't, don't have the production to match the rating. Yeah, and going with all these transfers is a risk. It is. Like, I understand it's like, oh, it's modern college football. And, like, all the Ole Miss fans are going to say, like, like, I remember if you – listening to oh god uh i can't think of his name Inter- thunder and lightning interview with the ben garrett because mm-hmm. hey dad always has him on and, then and like redo it because everybody uh, got i guess garrett, I, thought it was, I thought it was funny i don't know why they had to redo it, uh, it, it i think it was because they didn't hit enough of the information the way they wanted to but i guess garrett because like in his new role he's able to be a bit more homerish than he had in the past because, like, typically in the past, he's come on and be tried to be very balanced. He was letting it fly a little bit. And, like, he was going all in on the, you know, if you guys want to keep going to Liberty Bowls, Music City Bowls, you keep going and getting your high school kids and developing them. Like, we're trying to go to Sugar Bowls and, like, uh, but in the transfer portal is the way to do it. 
okay, the transfer portal is good if you're going to reload like spots, but if you're talking about your entire roster being made up these transfers who are not a part of your program, who have not been developed to, to the way that you want your program to be run, there is a risk there. And you cannot say that all of those guys are going to work out. You cannot say that they're all going to mesh. Part of the reason, like, if you're a school like Ole Miss, that is a developmental program, because you are. I'm sorry, Ole Miss. You, like, I know you like to think that you should recruit highly enough that you can bring in all these freshmen and those guys are going to be the studs. You're still a developmental program overall. The reason you go and get young players and develop them is so that those guys, you can get old, stay old, and those guys that, when they take over, they're guys who you know fit what you want to do and fit your culture and understand the way your program operates. Those transfers do not. And I'm, this is not me saying Ole Miss is going to suck this year. It may work out for them, and they have a big year. I think Ole Miss is going to be a good team. I don't, I'm not trying to say they're going to be awful, but I, I because like there's so much emphasis, like oh the portal king and all the players. Like okay, like I get they understand they're good players, but there's no guarantee that they're all going to mesh together. There is still value in recruiting high school talent, and I there's value in not burning those bridges like they've done in Mississippi. There certainly is, but I mean I even beyond that, just in general, um, because like Lane is getting kids in high school, like they're getting kids out of state, but they're not getting, they're not loading up on like they're trying, they're going to continue recruiting and leaving a lot of spots open for transfers. I feel like that could come back to bite them. Um, it's, the I mean, other bad if, if you save 20 spots for transfers and then you, you swing and miss it more than you expect, then you're, then you're in trouble. That's another risk that people don't talk about either. The, the other big example was Michigan State. Mel Tucker went heavy for the transfer portal in year two, and Michigan State went from being like a two-win team his first year to winning like 11 games last season, winning a Peach Bowl, and they beat Michigan. Fantastic season. They relied heavily on transfers, and they've gone and gotten a few more transfers this year, but Mel Tucker has also been very outspoken. He has no intentions of that being what they do every single year. He, he They have been trying to go heavy in the high school recruiting because he recognizes – for a short-term little stopgap fix, it can work out. Do you want to build your program off of it? No, it's far too volatile to trust long-term. So, yeah, and, it's, and it, it might it, it might work out. Truly, I mean, we don't know. Uh, I think as long as we're talking about storylines, uh, is Lane Kiffin coaching at Ole Miss next year? Yes, I don't see him leaving like this time. Like, I know that was the big thing. Like, Lane's going to get out as soon as he can, and I think he wanted to, but. <sighs> I think it's a mixed combination of like the jobs Lane would want to take are not going to want to hire him. The jobs that would hire Lane are situations you don't necessarily want to walk into. You talked about Florida State earlier. Auburn is one that's interesting. Right, which Florida State's going to swing at Dion first? Yeah, they, they they will. And the other thing with Lane is like why why bigger programs not going at him? I think some people are questioning his recruiting that he's not the recruiter that maybe he's been billed out to be, um, and just from a personality standpoint and the way he wants to operate, I don't know how many people mesh with that. There are programs that would take, you know, be willing to take some of that risk. But again, I don't think he wants those jobs. I think he's comfortable at Ole Miss because it's a place that will let him coach the way he wants to coach and be him. He can have a decent level of success without having ridiculous expectations. Although I remember the last time Ole Miss had a few good seasons, all of a sudden they were talking about going to the playoffs. So maybe that changes pretty soon, but I, I don't see – to me, there's just not an obvious job. There was one interesting that got – an interesting one that got brought up would be UCLA. Um, I think the expectation was if UCLA had been disappointing last season, uh, 
that's a job maybe Lane could have taken. I know, you know, it's interesting because he was at USC for so long as an assistant and as a head coach. But UCLA had a good season last year, probably going to be pretty decent again. So it feels like Chip Kelly might still be there. But maybe if they disappointed, that'd be a spot he would look at. I just don't think there's an obvious place, though. I wonder if he'd go to Oregon if, if that guy didn't work out. Oregon is one that I feel like Lane would fit there, and that would be a step up. The issue that you have to consider is what is Oregon going to be in this new era of the sport? Yeah. Um, Oregon yeah. needs to go to the Big Ten or the Big 12. We'll see. Next up, last but not least, depending on who you ask, Texas A&M, uh, they do have a new defensive coordinator, the aforementioned DJ Durkin, because uh, they also hire criminals there. Um, Ross Bjork, I, I was about to say linking up. I, was, I don't think Ross Bjork – was Ross Bjork there when DJ Durkin was hired? I guess he was. Mm, no. Keith Durkin, Carter hired Durkin, the Lane coordinator Giffen. in 2020. He hired DJ Durkin the same time they hired Lane Kiffin. Kiffin was hired – I'm pretty sure Kiffin was hired by Keith Carter. Okay, yeah, because I feel like Keith Carter's hiring was like six months ago and Ross Bjork leaving was four years ago, even though neither of those are true. But that's how time is funny. But, yeah, um, DJ Durkin going out there uh, to join Jimbo Fisher. Quarterbacks could either be Max Johnson or Haynes King. Haynes King showed some flashes last year before he broke his leg, and then Max Johnson transferred from LSU, and he was very competent at LSU. I don't know um, if how big of a difference maker either of those quarterbacks are, or, or are you going to get, you know, all-conference type production from either one of those guys? Probably not. But one or two of the – one of those guys, if they're competent enough uh, to operate at this offense, this pro-style offense, which is different from what Johnson's run before, they should have a decent season. Um, Anaya Smith had a lot of legal trouble the last couple of weeks. Looks like he's cleared from all that. Um, defensively, Antonio Johnson comes back as the, they're one of their most productive defenders last year. They return a lot of defensive production from a year ago. They lose a lot offensively, but defensively they're returning a lot. And then running back Devin, they've pronounced his name ev differently every single time I've heard it. Devon A-Chain, I think is how it goes. I've heard A-Chain, A-Chain, A-Chain. It's A-Chain. All right, we're going to say Devin A-Chain. Same name as my girlfriend, oddly enough, first name. Um, that's a guy that gave – he's a speedster. He gave Mississippi State some trouble last year uh, in that Mississippi State win. That's a guy that they're going to need uh, – expect a lot a lot out of this year. Big thing yeah, for Texas A&M is um, – I was going to say the recruiting class last cycle was number one ever. Bought the best recruiting class money could buy. Um, I don't expect that to be a big deal for them this year, but don't be surprised if there's a freshman or two that really lights the woods on fire. Uh, for A&M because they're so talented. Next year, uh, A&M could be scary for that reason. I think the biggest thing for A&M is the Jimbo Fisher-Nick Saban feud. And if you notice, we didn't mention it when we talked about Alabama because I feel like it's a much bigger deal for Texas A&M people than it is for Alabama people. Probably so. It was crazy. It feels like that was uh, 10 years ago that that happened mm -hmm. because so much has taken place since then uh, with just the sport completely shifting. And then, of course, SEC Media Days comes around, and both of them are kind of just like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. Things get said, blah, 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 which obviously that's Greg Sankey telling them to shut up um, is ultimately what that boiled down to. But 
I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of – I feel like we've mostly kind of moved past it. It's going to get brought up again when that game comes around, but I see. I, I do not see Texas a being able to compete with Alabama this year. So I, I, I think it's going to kind of get overblown there. I think CBS has already set it up that they're going to have that as their one-night game um, in Tuscaloosa just because especially now you, you know A&M winning last year and then all the offseason stuff people are going to be watching – I think that game is going to disappoint because I think uh, Alabama is going to win comfortably. Um, like it always is, except for last year, that game gets built up and then Alabama wins by four touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, on the offense side of the ball, um, like you mentioned, Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller, losing him at running back, that's a big loss. They've sort of been leaning on him. So, like you said, you need a guy like A-Chain to step up and maybe find some other running. Maybe you find someone. A-Chain, again, is more of a – He's a you know change of pace back, so if you can find someone who's more of a uh, ground and pound type guy, you might want to go that way. Uh, receiving core, getting a nice Smith back as your leading receiver is big, but they did have a big loss using Jalen Wider, uh, Jalen Widermeyer. Uh, a is also a threat in the uh, receiving game. Jalen Preston's another one of their leading guys back. Don't have a ton of production at receiver, but that's kind of because their passing offense has not been great recently. That's kind of the big thing was when you talk about Texas a and what do they have to work on? What do they have to improve? Their passing game, the, there's just no explosion whatsoever. They are one of the least explosive passing offenses in college football. That's been the case for a while. That's just how Jimbo Fisher operates. Really, he asked, he asked his quarterbacks too much. The system that he runs is very complex, and it takes guys who are both talented and very smart to operate. It takes guys a few years, so – you look at a guy like Max Johnson coming over. He's got some talent, but is he going to be able to pick up that system right away year one? Maybe that gives Haynes King a little bit more of an edge, even though King only played, you know, like one game in a quarter last season. Um, if they can find a way to maximize their – they don't have a ton of production at receiver, but they've got players there. They've got guys who are highly rated recruits alongside with Smith. If some guys can step up and they can be a bit more explosive and open up the offense some, all of a sudden this A&M team becomes a lot more dangerous. You talked about the defense. A lot of production returning overall, but the front defensive front did take some big hits. Not a lot of returning production there, but that happens to be where a lot of their big-time talent was in the recruiting class. Uh, it was the defensive line class that was just ridiculous. So they're going to be playing some young guys there. If those guys pop, that helps them a lot. But you also wonder how much is are they, you know, licking some wounds as a fresh as freshman out there trying to get their legs under them and adjust to life in the SEC. I feel like AM is again, it's one of those situations where next year you look at them as a true threat to true contender. Uh, all those young players are going to have a year of experience under their belt. They'll probably have an experienced quarterback coming back. The Alabama game will be in college station. If you're talking about AM is a chance to win the SEC, I feel like 2023 is a bigger, <laughs> bigger chance there. But uh, if some young guys can emerge and they can get more explosive on offense, um, maybe AM can be better than a four loss team this season. Yep. AM, uh, interesting team. Lots of, un, I don't, I don't want to call it unpredictability or unknowns, but just lots of variability in how some of these teams can go. Other really than Alabama and Vanderbilt. You're not surprised. There's not much that could really surprise you because there's a lot of these unknowns, these little things that make a big difference with all of these teams. I mean, Mississippi State as a team, 
I don't think so, but you could finish with six wins or you could finish with 10 and neither would absolutely stun me. Uh, Ole Miss, you can almost say all of that about LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, and Texas A&M. Uh, that's, that's crazy. Not even to mention uh, on the other side. I think you got new coaches in Florida and LSU. Uh, that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, the only two, two coaches. And usually when you have a – usually in the SEC, I feel like two is a low number of new coaches. But it seems like this is the most uncertain year in recent memory for SEC teams. There's just a lot that could that could go right or wrong for a lot of teams. There's not a lot of known commodities. Uh, it's very, very odd. Yeah, one of my main storylines for the SEC as a whole um, is just the fact that the SEC's lower and middle class, um, you have a, like a lot of – it goes beyond them because, I mean, you would consider like technically Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, like they're, they're – well, A&M thinks they are. They really aren't are supposed to be kind of like that middle upper class. But there's a lot of teams in the SEC this year that have high expectations. They're not all going to be able to meet them. There's right. also a lot of teams in the SEC that have a wide range of outcomes when you consider LSU, Florida, Auburn, Texas A&M, where they're supposed to be better, but they may not be. But, I mean, like Ole Miss fans are super high on their team this year. Arkansas fans are super high on the team this year. Mississippi State fans, I think, are finally starting to come around and accept that, like, okay, this team should be good. South Carolina fans are high. Tennessee fans are high. Kentucky fans are high. There's a ton of hype going around a lot of programs in the SEC this year. And, again, not everyone is going to be able to live up to that. It, there's going to be a wide range of outcomes. I think you're going to end up with a lot of teams that go 7-5, and 8-4 and four when it's all said and done. Um, kind of a loaded middle class this year where, you know, you have Bama clearly at the top. Georgia clearly is the number two. Vanderbilt clearly at the bottom. Everything else is kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, it's very, very – setting up for a lot of fun is what you're telling me. Absolutely. You're looking at upsets. You're looking at uh, just a jumbled-up record. You're looking at teams that don't normally finish second or third in the West or East maybe doing so. Very, very fun. We'll see how it goes. Uh, that's all we got for today. Uh, we'll be back sometime in the near future to kind of talk about some of the national storylines, some of the things that uh, – you might be thinking about just from a conference standpoint uh, with the Big Ten, the new Big Ten, I guess, although it won't take effect this year. What's going to happen in the Big 12 and, and uh, what could be Oklahoma and Texas's last year if they get that deal done, although I don't think they will. Um, ACC, does Clemson come back uh, after what was a down year this year, last year that did finish strong for them? Uh what happens to Pitt and Wake Forest? You know, that's two teams you never would have thought would have been played in an ACC championship, and there they were. Really, though, uh, we're not going to hit on every single team. We're not going to talk about, um, you know, just – we're not going to pick the ten best teams and just talk about them. It's going to be kind of a conference thing and ways that it affects Mississippi State and ways that it might work out in the playoff. Yep. That's, that's the plan. All right, so that's it for, for, for now. Uh, and upcoming, I would be remiss if I did not mention, we do have a big episode planned for right before the season starts. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different than stuff we've done in the past. It's going to be different than the things that we are uh, that you're maybe used to. It's going to be really exciting. So be looking forward to that. Uh, and as always, swing your sword in Hale State. Hale State.